Okay, warriors, you are listening to Unqualified Therapists. Remember, stay wild and weird. Hey, warriors, this is Amy. And I'm Sarah. We started this podcast because mental health is complicated and the stigma surrounding it can make us feel alone. So we are here to share authentic stories in order to normalize and prioritize mental health. We believe in professional therapy. We both use it on our own healing journeys, but we also know it isn't one size fits all. So we are here to provide tools from our own experiences, as well as those from our guests and professionals that come on the show. Thank you for being here as we navigate the complexities of mental health and mental illness together. Remember, hold on warriors, we're gonna make it. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Unqualified Therapist. Today, we have Dr. Katie. She is back with us. We missed her so much, and we figured out a way to make these schedules work because we need her expertise. Hi, Katie. (laughs) The world is gone mad, and we're all a bit lost. Everyone is sad, and it's all at what cost. Don't be scared, friends. No, don't be afraid. Answers with our friend, Dr. Katie. Oh, hello. I am happy to be back talking about another one of my favorite topics. <laughs> I know. Thank you so much for coming on to help us talk through life after divorce. It is a topic that is extremely important to at least half of the country here mm-hmm. in the United States. Um, Also, I feel like in our age group, as we're all in our 40s, that this is kind of the time where things start to happen within relationships. In this time of our lives, we start to discover ourselves a little bit more and maybe decide or realize that we are not in the right space in terms of our relationships. And so I think this is an excellent time of life to to be discussing this topic. So thank you so much for coming on. Oh yeah, no problem. I will say, I, it sounds weird to say that divorce is a topic near and dear to my heart, but <laughs> it, it really is. You know, I'm divorced, I am remarried. I've treated a lot of people going through divorce, post-divorce, and my father is a family lawyer. So divorces have positively impacted my life, you know, in some ways, certainly kept my father employed and my brother worked for him and is now a family court judge. So like, I think for a lot of people, divorce was kind of a taboo topic. I think especially when we were growing up, you know, when friends' parents would be getting divorced, it was like shameful and you know people would have a hard time talking about it and now you know as you said it's what like half of marriages and it what's interesting to me is i always heard about divorce because it was what my dad did for a living so it wasn't 
this kind of scary word, even though I knew it was something I didn't ever want to have to do and then did it. I was just going to say, I feel like where we grew up and maybe this was everyone in that time frame, there just wasn't anyone getting divorced. It was very, very rare. So when it happened, it was like, <gasps> where now I'm just like, oh, okay, it's Tuesday. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and then I think too, you know, it's always framed in this super negative way that like, this is the worst thing that could happen in a marriage, in someone's life. And is it a great thing? Not always. Is it almost always difficult? I think so. But it can also be a really big opportunity to design your life. And if there are kids, your children's lives in a different way that is more positive. So one of the things that I think might be still different for people is the relationships afterwards, the mm -hmm. reason for divorce. I mean, there is this, if it's amicable, like that's kind of good in a way because you can still be friends, still raise your kids if you have it. But then there's these, well, most of the ones that I know of are not. They're like very volatile and very much like, uh, I don't know, one person is really unhealthy, it seems. Yeah. And that, I, I think I should also say that I also treat attorneys who work in family law. And I think that something that people don't think about is the effect on them of seeing exactly what you're talking about, Amy, all of this rancor and seeing people fighting, fighting, fighting and expecting, you know, an attorney, someone else in their lives, a friend to like give them some kind of answer where they get what they want when what they want is to punish somebody instead of saying, you know what, this is how we have to move forward. There are a lot of different ways divorce can happen. And I think you don't have to be friends, but if you can just be respectful and kind of kind to each other, that makes it better for everybody. Do you have patients who are divorced with children and then those who are divorced without children? And what's the difference there? Oh my gosh. So this kind of have people everywhere on the spectrum. And there was, there was an interesting period Oh gosh, how long ago? Maybe almost 10 years ago where I was treating a few women whose children were grown. So they're left at home with their husbands. And honestly, maybe not their exact words, but kind of like, what the fuck? It's just us again. This is not what I signed up for. And this is not what I signed up for is something that's kind of consistent. Whether it's that situation, whether it's parents, you know, of young children or even older, where there has to be a lot of co-parenting. It's even if oftentimes things have been discussed prior to having children, it kind of never shakes out the way people plan. And if you aren't able to adjust and still work on your relationship with each other, as well as your relationship with the children, it can be really, really difficult. I will say it seems easiest, and I'm actually kind of laughing as I say this, for people who don't have children. And I'm laughing because I remember when I got divorced and I didn't have children, so many people, the first things out of their mouths would be, well, at least you don't have kids. Yeah. And at the time, I felt like, thank you for shaking your head, Sarah. I felt like that was so <laughs> disrespectful 
and so it is and belittling of my experience Mm -hmm. it's similar to like something like when someone dies and they're like well at least they're at peace now or something yeah. like that or yeah because that's suffering. exactly what i was thinking like yeah. that's not comforting yeah. at all <laughs> yeah and i think people just don't know what to say and as we have said before if you don't know what to say just say i don't know what to say and i want to be here for you how can i do that yeah, but it's just wild i think too maybe because of what we talked about with at least growing up divorce being kind of taboo and shameful and now that it's more common and more talked about people feel like they can just ask you all kinds of questions about your divorce because that is something that i certainly experience and that comes up in session and what i will work on with people is have just a one-liner it's totally fine to just have something prepared when someone says well what happened and you can handle that however you want if you want to tell the truth, and usually it's sex and money, go ahead, tell them. But it's really absolutely nobody's business. Yeah. You can be silly about it. Like, I don't know why people think they are entitled to your information. I know that's something I have said to people when I've gotten really annoyed, and this hasn't happened in a while because I've been divorced for, I don't know, like 10 years, um, longer longer <laughs> sure. time flies but yeah but i i have said to someone you know when's the last time someone just expected you to talk about your most shameful difficult experience <laughs> it's ballsy but every once in a while i can pull it out yeah yeah you can definitely say it um it reminds me of the wedding singer when he gets left at the altar before he gets married and you know somebody comments on it and says oh that must have hurt real bad and he's like yeah my parents died when i was 10 you want to talk about that too yeah <laughs> <laughs> yep and the guy says why would i want to talk about that and he's like exactly yep robbie hart oh man i heard what happened to you at your wedding that was so cold you must have felt like shit. no it felt really good thanks for bringing it up man you know, my parents died when I was 10. Would you like to talk about that? Why would we want to talk about that? I don't know. So it's just these, you know, people who just brazenly ask you mm -hmm. these questions. It's totally fine to to clap back and say something yes. to get them to realize how inappropriate it is to ask about those types of things. Absolutely. And I think, you know, <laughs> the B word again, something we've talked about probably almost every episode that we've done together is boundaries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Feel free to have them. Feel free to enforce them with anything, but especially with this. And I think especially when children are involved. So I'm going to flip the script here. How do you handle the ones who never stop talking about it? Meaning people who are getting divorced or who are divorced and just want to tell you about it all the time? All yes. the time. And some people <laughs> might be friends with both sides. Some people mm -hmm. might have a trigger of their own. You want to be there for people, but what is the most appropriate way? And how do you, how do you handle that? Well, you're right. We are, we're actually not even flipping things that much, right? Because we're staying with boundaries. That's what made as, me think of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As a friend, as you know, a relative, whatever you get to have boundaries too. You don't have to take in everything that someone wants to give to you. I mean, I know we've also talked about being empaths and that kind of stuff. I think it is totally fine to say something along the lines of, listen, you talk about this a lot. So I think it must be really important to you, but I'm not in a place where I can be the person you talk to about this. It's good. Yeah. 
Don't give them my number, but another therapist. <laughs> You're fully booked. Your calendar yes. is booked. We've seen it. <laughs> to help out those who are going through divorce and who might find themselves in a place of sometimes romanticizing about the past oh, and making, yeah, maybe thinking that, you know, this was a mistake or when they've made the right choice and they're in a good space, but they're still in that space of, like I said, romanticizing yeah, about it. That's a great question. How do and we I, help them? I always think it's important to remember that the right choice doesn't always feel good, especially once we've made the decision and then we're implementing steps. And I like to think of it as totally normal to romanticize, to maybe even have some regrets, to look back because you're grieving. You know, there is this life that you thought you were going to have with this person. So allow yourself to feel it, but watch how your thoughts about it and the way you talk about it might be promoting those feelings and encouraging them versus just saying, you know what, this is normal. You know, there was a time when I was so hopeful about my future with this person that I said yes to marrying them. And now I'm saying yes to myself by moving forward with them. You know, it might be without them. It might be with them in a different role, whatever it is. But I, I think we need to acknowledge the past without getting stuck in it by saying, you know, this is normal. But now I need to take time to focus on what I want moving forward. And I, like getting active about it, designing it. What do you mean by that? So, I mean, divorce is a great reminder that things don't work out the way we want them to a lot <laughs> of the time. <clears throat> I think we can really think about, okay, what are things, and this, I, I find this more with women, probably just because I treat more women. What are things that felt like me that I lost in this relationship? What are the parts of myself that didn't get attended to in a way that felt healthy and nourishing and start there? How can I reconnect? with myself as I move forward. What do I want things to look like? And it can be as specific as scheduling. I'm gonna do this on this day. It can be, you know, adding in more self-care. Just really thinking about what is the life I want to have? What are the steps I can take to logically get myself closer? I may not be able to actively make it all happen, but if I, I think for most of us, if we feel like we are doing something yeah, to move ourselves forward, even if it's a small step, we just feel so much better. We feel more grounded and it's easier to move through life in that way. That's a really good point on all mm -hmm. fronts. What is your advice for those who have children? It could be a good situation, right? It could yeah. be like that we're co-parenting well, but more often than not, I have found that the people I know are not. That yeah. Way. So I think it's important for kids to have therapists to work in conjunction with the therapist um, in terms of what do we say? When do we say it? Um, I don't treat children. And I usually, when I have 
um, people I'm treating who have young children, I always say, you know, set up an appointment for you with their therapist so that you can tell the therapist what's going on. You can work on things. Kids also need to know what's happening, but not too far in advance, right? Because then we're going to give them too much space for anxiety. And I think that, you know, the number one thing is that the children need to know that they were not the problem. They were not the issue. And we still, you know, our love for you has not changed at all. You are still our focus and we are still working together to take care of you. But it can be tough. I mean, thinking about, I think the number one thing that has come up, especially for parents of young children is the idea of, I'm not going to be with them every day. Like I'm used to, you know, there are going to be times when I'm not going to put them to bed. I'm not going to see them first thing in the morning. And I remember talking to a patient one day and saying, you know, my perspective on the phrase, we stayed married for the kids has changed so much because I think it used to be, you know, I stayed, I understood it as we stayed married for the kids so that the kids experienced a stable home, you know, with two parents in the home. And now I think one thing is, first of all, that's not always better for the kids, especially if parents are fighting all the time. But also the way I have heard parents talk about it in session is, I stayed married this long for the kids so that I can be with them all the time. Yeah. It's for me to be with the kids. I cannot fathom missing something, you know, good or bad. And I think that is really the thing where I've seen particularly women. And again, it might just be because I treat more women struggle with even making the decision, even though it is generally so clear. I've said, probably not with you guys, but I've said before, often when someone comes in and their intake says something about relationship issues, within a few sessions, I realize they're looking for permission to leave. That's so interesting that you say that. I feel like that's a lot of aspects of a, of adult life. Yeah. Why do we Why do we look for per, outside permission to do yeah, things that we, we know? Yeah, why don't we Yeah. Absolutely. Of the other side. Fear of the other side, fear of other people's perceptions. Disappointing people. Yep. Yeah. Not speaking for myself, I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I keep thinking like, I hate to be making this point as women or it seems like in yeah. women, but we women are taught more about considering other people's opinions and considering relationships, putting relationships before ourselves. So I do think it is more difficult for women in our culture to make what feels like, I don't believe it is, but what feels like the selfish decision. Finances are another reason why people stay together. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's something that will drive them apart and keep them together yep. for sure, because it's hard to consider how will we make this work? Mm -hmm. You know, there, there's a, I think it's called nesting where it's a co-parenting um, and custody strategy where there are three homes. I've heard of this. Right? One yeah. parent's home, the other parent's home, and then the kid's home, and the parents take turns 
coming in so that the kids never have to go anywhere else. Sounds yeah. lovely. I would kind of like it for myself without getting divorced. <laughs> yes, please. But who <laughs> yes, has please. for this? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess if it's like two apartments, the house they own and they already paid the house off, I really don't know. Yeah, but I, I, I there has to be a perfect it. storm for that right. to make sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, because I mean, we do want to have safety, stability and security, especially for our children. But women will more often subvert their own needs for other people. I guess that's something that we need to think about and keep in mind when you're thinking about and evaluating your relationships, Mm -hmm. that if you're in a tough spot and you're worried about all of the logistics and things is to consider, consider yourself a necessary aspect of all of this. Yes, absolutely. And that, you know, I remember I'm getting just a little bit off topic when we think about maternal mental health. And I remember being at a presentation. I I worked in a health system at the time where they were working on a perinatal and postpartum um, depression unit where women could bring their children because that was actually one of the barriers. It's one of the biggest barriers to seeking treatment at that time because they don't want to leave their children, their infants. So I went to a presentation with one of the top psychiatrists in the U.S., in terms of using SSRIs, et cetera. And she made a very clear statement that the best predictor of the kids' health and mental health is the mothers. Mm. So we have to take care of mothers, right? i.e. ourselves, to take care of our children. Wow. I mean, that makes complete sense. Right, and I don't want to leave fathers out here. Yeah, I don't want to leave fathers out here either. We want mm-hmm. fathers to have good mental health too, because I mean, oh my gosh, the stories I have heard about what people who are not doing well in terms of mental health have done to or in front of their children while going through a divorce, it's really, really brutal. And it will most likely be something that those children will deal with either as children or adults or for the rest of their lives. Um, So again, I think one of the most important things is we have to look at taking care of ourselves as a facet of taking care of our children. So that kind of leads me to the next question that I had, which was a very loaded one. So I apologize. But when it comes to, I know that there are a lot of times when it comes to divorce or, you know, a separation of a a marriage, there's a lot of anger wrapped up in that. Mm -hmm. And along with therapy, because I believe so strongly that everyone, no matter what situation you're going through, should be going to therapy. So if you're going through a divorce, you should be going to therapy as well, along with the rest of us. But how, in addition to that, what are some ways of processing that anger and not allowing it to seep into either your children's lives, your family, friends, Mm -hmm. all of those other aspects of your life when you're carrying that around with you all the time? So I think anger is one of the messier emotions, (laughs) Um, stickier, and oftentimes we are just wrapped up in anger, forgetting or maybe not even knowing what we are angry about. So I think it's very, very important to take time. 
and space because I think we, we have it in our heads that like somehow to process anger, to figure this all out, I'm going to need like five hours. <laughs> it, you might actually need like 30 seconds or five minutes to just pause and ground and say, hold on, where is this coming from? Mm-hmm. What am I so upset about? And then I think if we give it that moment, that 10 beats, whatever it is, one, the anger dissipates a little bit, but two, we are less likely to displace it, you know, onto our friends, other family members, kids, et cetera. The other thing to remember is, you know, we often in psychology make a big deal about anger being a secondary emotion with the primary emotion often, you know, being something like hurt, sadness, loss. But for many people, anger feels more powerful. Usually when there is anger, we want to do something with it, (laughs) right? And that feels better than laying in my bed crying. But if you allow yourself to feel the pain of the sadness, the hurt, the loss, the anger again might lessen because that's what it's truly related to. That said, there is some righteous anger in the world. I mean, I've been feeling it yeah. lately. <laughs> sure, <laughs> yes. In our country, that is for sure. Um, and it's not and all bad. That. Yeah, and actually that's a great point too, Sarah, is that I think many of us, or maybe I'm projecting because I am certainly, are afraid of anger, yeah. our own mm-hmm. and other people. So we also need to say, what if I schedule some time to sit with my anger? Let it tell me why it's here. Mm-hmm what this experience is really, really related to. We get a lot of really good information that we have probably been, I don't know if I want to say actively repressing, but maybe just not even noticing. Right. About our own experience. Yeah. And sometimes the experience is just re-triggering, re-traumatizing other anger that you've pushed down for the same thing, whether it be like Mm -hmm. someone, like let's say it was infidelity. So then like someone has lied to you you know, Mm -hmm. in your past as well. And then this person who you trusted so much and was your partner, like also lied to you. And then your best friend did, I don't even know all of these things. (laughs) And so it's like just a complete and utter, like a spiral. Yeah. We often say that grief is a well. And so when you're grieving, it's not just that person, that thing. It's all of the people, all of the things. I think anger is almost exactly the same way. That it's, you know, it might be all the times I've been wronged. Um, There's another point that feels kind of parallel to this that I think is really important when we're thinking about life after divorce, especially when we're considering a new romantic relationship, is that we have to kind of put that last relationship in its place. Yeah. Which is the past. (laughs) We can take what we learned about ourselves from it. Absolutely, we should. But we don't want to respond to the person in front of us now as if they are the person who was in front of us in that last relationship or two relationships ago. And I imagine that is even more difficult when you have to still be involved with that first partner because of co-parenting. Yeah, that's incredibly hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe having some questions at hand, who am I responding to? What am I responding to? What is happening right now? How do I take care of myself right now? 
you know, what is the appropriate response in this moment? Or even, does this feeling feel really, really familiar? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting when people, I only think this way because I'm confused by it, uh, get remarried um, because I can't, I'm so cynical, right? Yeah. I'm incredibly well, cynical of the institution of marriage. I mm -hmm. think, you know, and I never want to rain on anybody else's parade at all. So I keep my mouth shut, but I'm always like, really? Huh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, being completely personally honest, I had zero desire to get married again. Yeah. Um, I really, I mean, my husband and I lived together for five years before, current husband, before getting engaged. And I did not see the point in getting married again. Right, exactly. I said, you know, it didn't work. Um, basically, why are we going to change something that seems okay? And I will tell you, like, our first year of living together was pretty brutal. It was pretty awful because I don't think I was actually ready to give up anything that felt like just mine again. Mm, yeah, and that's a good point. I get that. Yeah. Probably didn't spend enough time on my own, but I was like in my 30s when I got divorced and thought, oh, I want to have a kid. Little did I know that I'd have one in my 40s. So no <laughs> need to feel the pressure then. But truly, I, I did not... I didn't want to get married again, but my husband is more traditional than I am. But I think it's important. And I think that honestly, like the institution of marriage, it just in and of itself is more important to some people than to others. And I will say, and this is not just me, this is what people have reported in therapy. It is not just a piece of paper. Something feels different to many people, maybe not to everybody, about actually being married and it might just be that it is you know there's distribution of assets afterwards if you end up divorced i don't know but i think it's it, it really takes the way out out even though yeah. divorce happens it makes the it easy leave like the easy exit is yeah. what you mean and yeah. that's possibly it i don't i don't know i mean or there's just a like repulsion towards it because of your past experiences or yeah. I'm not sure. I don't know why, but. Well, past it, experience, I think. And also just the idea of if you've gotten married in religious traditions where a yes. woman is given away. Yes. And you feel like you've just reclaimed your life. I don't think we're so ready to give it away again. Yeah. So by the way, there was none of that language in my second <laughs> wedding. Did you write? Did that. you write your own vows? We did not, um, but we were very. I was. Am I kidding? I did all the talking. <laughs> I was like, listen, I'm okay with this. I'm not okay with that. Like, there will be absolutely no Old Testament. Like, this is not happening. I want this mm -hmm. all to be about celebrating love, and like, yeah. not yeah, yeah, anybody giving anybody away. That said, my dad <laughs> did walk me down the aisle again, um, but. He knows as much as I do that he's not giving me anybody. It was just, you know, I, I think that's a fine tradition. Again, I feel like I'm like harping on women, but women used to need the institution yes. of marriage right. in ways that we don't. And I think. Right. Credit cards. <laughs> right. Yeah. Until the 70s. Yes. That's insane. Born. 
That's yes. Yes. you had to they be married it. and have a husband's signature to get a credit yeah. card. Or your dad. At or like, yeah. whatever age. What? No. Yeah, so I think things have just changed in a lot of different ways. And that said, I also don't love this idea that I hear, I think, a lot of older people throwing around that kids these days, they just go get divorced. It, you know, it's just, ah, it doesn't work out, you get divorced. You always know you can do that. That, and, and to me, again, talk about something that is demeaning, disrespectful. There might be people like that. There might be people in their 80s like that. But I did not get married the first time thinking, well, I can just go get divorced if this doesn't work. Right. I don't think anybody goes into a marriage thinking that. Well, not I wouldn't say anybody, but I, I would say the majority of people don't right. go into a marriage saying, well, if it doesn't work out, I can just walk away, you know, get yeah. divorced. I think people go into a marriage hoping that this lasts and it's yeah. a loving, caring situation. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think a lot of us do maybe think we have expectations for more change than is likely. That if it hadn't has not happened prior to the actual wedding, not sure what we think is going to make it happen. Also, another thing I do not understand now that I have a toddler is having a baby to save a marriage. Please don't do that. Yeah, yeah. no. I don't know how that works, but no, it's just an even bigger stressor on a relationship and I adore my child and my marriage <laughs> and my life. But yeah, it's not easy. I know that when you have something big like this happen in your life, it's obviously traumatizing and can create all kinds of problems mm -hmm. and feelings and things going forward. And as much as it hurts, I think a lot of times we have a hard time letting go of pain like that or letting yes. go of anger and not wanting to move forward because we feel like our feelings are so justified, which they are mm -hmm. always. But in that sense, and, and you might be, like you said, reclaiming yourself and coming to a point where you're realizing who you are without this person. And, and so you want to hold on to these feelings, but in order to move forward, we need to release them. So yeah. what kind of what kind of advice do you have for people that are, are wanting to kind of hold those things close to the chest? So I think this is another time for more questioning, for self-inquiry. What are these feelings actually doing? Right. If I am holding on to even justified anger, do I feel better? And, and I will say for some people, they can use it in an empowering way, but how do I just find the power in it? The power isn't about my anger towards this person. The power is in recognizing that I can take steps for myself. And I think we also just have to really evaluate, am I trying to give myself a better life or am I trying to hurt someone else? You know, yeah. or am I trying to show everybody how justified I am? Somebody would be I like was. both. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Both. Well, yeah, I mean, okay. you know, I'll be honest. I don't know how why this was important to me when I got divorced, it was very important to me that I did not discuss a lot of the details with other people. I knew that I had my side of the story and that he likely had a different one that if he wanted to say it, that would be fine. Whatever. Um, I actually don't know what he has told people about me. Um, and I'm fine with that too, but that what happened between us happened between us. 
And I think that that was a really good thing that I somehow knew how to do. I mean, I have a couple of really good friends who know most of it. My mom knows most of it. So the question is, who does it serve, right? Yeah. To hold on to these feelings. It never serves you to hold on to anger, to punish someone else. If they were going to learn by punishing, you probably already tried a few times in the marriage, right? (laughs) What's going to change now? Yeah, it's true. I did want to talk quickly about the healing that happens and needs to happen afterwards. If specifically it's an abusive relationship, emotionally, physically, or if Mm -hmm. the person is, you know, narcissistic, or if they're just Mm -hmm. unwell, that the toll that takes on someone and what they can do, I mean, a million things probably, but like, how do they start? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, we're all tired of me saying this and also everybody is full right now, but that's where therapy comes in because when we have been traumatized, what we often take away are negative self-cognition. I deserved this. I did something to provoke this. I need to make changes for my life so that nobody does that to me again. And the bottom line is you can have done everything right and some people are still going to hurt you. Bad things can still happen. So I really think something to look at is one's beliefs about oneself. And it might not be obvious that they came from that relationship. And the other thing is they may not have. I think oftentimes people are primed to negatively internalize the abusive relationships because of other experiences they've had prior to them. So what happens a lot of the times in therapy is they come in and it's so cliche. We talk about the relationship, but fairly quickly we are back in family of origin issues that were activated within and by this relationship. And that kind of confirmed things Mm. that the patient has always kind of thought about themselves or seems like always they were learned in the family of origin. And so it takes someone from the outside to say, no, no, this is not you. This is emotional manipulation. This is abuse. Yeah. Oftentimes to a way to kind of access the zooming out we talk about is what would I tell my friend if I was watching this and this was my friend in this situation or my sister, my most beloved individual, what would I say to them? How would I experience this? And then have that same compassion for yourself. I think self-compassion is one of the most important pieces of moving forward because divorce is a huge life stressor typically, you know, and if we think about stressors in life, it's like, you know, relationships, homes, jobs, separation from people, a divorce can include all of these, you know, we would never advise someone start a new relationship, buy a new house, start a new job and don't be with your kids. At the same time, sounds like a recipe for disaster. Yeah. But sometimes we have to do these things pretty much all at once in order to move forward. So please be kind and patient with yourself while this is happening. You, no one's going to do this perfectly. 
because there's no such thing. Can we get the church choir to sing that? (laughs) (laughs) And clap along with it, please. (laughs) You know, I don't think there's such a thing as a perfect divorce, as, you know, a perfect custody situation. I, I don't know that there's a perfect way to move through things, but I don't think compassion is ever lost, is ever wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't want to hear that, but that, no. that I get it. It makes sense. It does. It's hard. It's really it hard. It's hard. Righteous anger, that wrath that you have, like for someone who hurt you and hurt your family, if they were the one at fault, but usually, you know, everybody says it takes two. I mean, every situation is completely different. There isn't, it's impossible to say, even if it was like, oh, there was infidelity, infidelity. No, no, no. Like there was still something else that was completely different about those two situations. So all situations are very, very different and personal. So I think a lot of it is just a matter of, you know, like you said, self-reflection and really trying to get to the root of that rage. Yeah. Yeah. Rage or even like just, okay. What was going on for me? You know, even in, in the sadness, in the good moments. Like, well, how did I come to these decisions? What can I learn about myself through all of this? I think is, is really, really important. Definitely. As you know, you've experienced this yourself. If you had one big piece of advice that you could give <laughs> to people going through this, and if oh, you gosh. could reflect back on your experience, with it. If you could go back and and talk to yourself while you're going through this, what would you say? Okay. So I don't think there's one thing. There's about 7 million, but I'll try to keep it as short (laughs) as possible. First of all, you need no one's permission. Don't worry about the wedding, how much it costs. Don't worry about expectations. You need no one's permission to attempt to give yourself a happier life. Then if you can afford an attorney, get an attorney and then stay the fuck out of it as Mm. much as possible. Let them do their job. Let them fight for you. I never walked into a courtroom. I never had to be deposed, nothing. I just dealt with my attorney and they handled it. Took longer than I thought, that's okay. Um, A piece of advice that I got from my dad was don't negotiate with yourself. Mm. I love that. And I thought that was great. Because his point was he knew me and that we would very likely get to a point where I would say, no, I'll take this just fine, just to get it done. Yeah. And so again, letting the expert do their job was very, very helpful. And then I think you don't have to tell anybody anything. If you want to tell people, tell people, but also acknowledge when they're done listening, if they have appropriately told you. Um, get a therapist and don't set a timetable for when you think you should be over this. Hmm. Yeah. You know, when you think you should be ready to move on. And also I really do think time without a partner is important so that you can get to re-engage with yourself see how that relationship impacted you, what you want to take, what you want to leave and how you want to move forward. That's fantastic. That's so beautiful. Thanks. Write it down because I don't remember what I said. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's on the record now. (laughs) 
That was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. We know you have to get back into session, so we're going to let you go. Yes, thank you. So thank you, Dr. Katie, for joining us again and helping us to work through some what to do after divorce. And we just really appreciate you for coming on. Yes, thank you so much. I noticed that I always want to say my pleasure, and that seems a little weird because I'm always talking about things that people are struggling with, but it is a pleasure (laughs) to be able to offer something that might help. Absolutely. Yes, we appreciate you. Our listeners appreciate you. Thank you again. We love when we get an opportunity to bring the qualified on our show to meet the unqualified. And we just love Dr. Katie. So we're just appreciative that she came on to talk about divorce um, and the aftermath, because believe it or not, after two and a half years, that's a topic that we haven't done. I know. I can't believe we haven't broached it yet, but I'm so glad we did. Her information was invaluable, I think, to a lot of situations, not just divorce, but (laughs) she's the qualified. That's why we bring her on there. She always knows what to say. We also are appreciative, too, that she shared her own experience and what she would have told herself because, you know, personal experience is always important to share, too. So, yes, we got all of it in this episode. We hope that you enjoyed it and that you have some takeaways or this. You can share this with a friend if this doesn't affect you personally. So we hope you have a great week and we hope you stay wild and weird warriors. We love you. This episode was brought to you by Sarah Simone and Amy Baumgartner theme song and other music provided by Epidemic Sound. All episodes are mixed, mastered, and produced by me, Sarah Simone. To help us keep making episodes just like this one, consider supporting us on patreon.com slash Inc. Or share us with a friend, relative, coworker, hairstylist, butcher, baker, candlestick maker. Sharing us not only helps keep the mics on, but it furthers our mission in removing the stigma. If you have a mental health journey you'd like to share, email us at unqualifiedtherapists at gmail.com or reach out to us on our website, www.unqualifiedtherapists.com. Until next time, hold on, warrior. We're gonna make it. We are-